So now you've got to listen to me sing, and then you've got to listen to me preach too. But, you know, this, is a, this would be an okay nap time if you chose to go that route as well. Um, and there will be no judgment here at all, I promise. I promise you. Um, the passage for today is an interesting one. Um, so I'm going to read it to you, and, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit uh, about this passage and explore some of the, uh, the, uh, the interesting facets of it that I think we'll find together. Uh, here, our gospel lesson from Luke 8, 26 through 39. Jesus and his disciples sailed to the Gerasenes land, which is across the lake from Galilee. And as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a certain man met him. The man was from the city and was possessed by demons. For a long time, he had lived among the tombs, naked and homeless. When he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down before him. And then he shouted, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had taken possession of him so he would be bound with leg irons and chains and placed under guard, but he would break his restraints and the demon would force him into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had entered him. They pleaded with him not to order them back into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission, and the demons left the man and entered the pigs. The herd rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. When those who tended the pigs saw what happened, they ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully dressed and completely sane. They were filled with awe. Those people who had actually seen what had happened told them how the demon-possessed man had been delivered. Then everyone gathered from the region of the Gerasenes and asked Jesus to leave their area because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and returned across the lake. The man from whom the demons had gone begged to come along with Jesus as one of his disciples. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell the story of what God has done for you. So he went throughout the city proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. So the other night, I was talking with Emma about this week's gospel lesson. And, uh, and you told me that I should tell this story, so this is on you. Okay. Um, at the mention of demon possession, she raised an eyebrow in interest. Uh, now, growing up, talk of demons and possessions was fairly commonplace in my house. I grew up in a faith tradition that took these biblical accounts of demonic possession as literal. And as a card-carrying hypochondriac, I have nearly contracted a multitude of diseases just by hearing about them. Once I was uh, pretty sure that I was pregnant. But <laughs> while I was assured that a saved person couldn't be possessed, I often worried about accidentally contracting a demonic possession Maybe while I watched Pet Cemetery, while my parents were in Bible study at my friend's house upstairs. I often wondered what dark things lurked in my soul just waiting to surface. Now, probably because this talk of demonic forces affected me so, I've tended to avoid talking with our kids about these passages of possessions. 
in hopes of sheltering them from some of the theologies that have become problematic for me over the years. Moreover, I happen to maybe to be married to a professional counselor who has seen all kinds of things. Medication and good therapy can help many conditions that we may have one time have been explained as possessions. It can even help subdue the overactive imagination of a hypochondriac. Trust me. As Em and I talked in the kitchen and I mused about these things, she looked at me with a question in her eyes. So in my super annoying dad style, I said, what do you think? She said, I think maybe it's true and not true at the same time. A breath of fresh air. I could not have said it better. That's exactly how I feel about it, but I didn't know it. And it's really about how I feel about many things for that matter. I'm not suggesting that we don't take this passage seriously. There is truth here. There's a call to believe, to see the hidden systems of oppression, to welcome Jesus even when his power might subvert our status quo. So no matter where you land on the facts, the truth remains. God has never seemed to get too hung up on getting all the science exactly right. But God does seem really concerned about inviting all of us to beloved community. Shrieks writhed across the hillside as a shadow slithered through the tombs. There was no day or night for him, only a dusky haze. Time compressed, submerged in a murky purple light, all shadow. Everything was slowed, dulled, muted, indistinct, as if caught in floodwaters. Faces, names, the jutting stones all slipped through his fingers, and he could not remember a time before this chaotic churn. He was all urge, all scream, all fear. The voices inside chanted, echoed, and reverberated without him. He was crowded, shut out. There was no room for him, no space, not even for a single thought. And he had to run, to get away. But where? There was nowhere for him, nowhere to escape his tormentors, no threshold to accept his calloused feet, no fire to warm his freezing hands. So, driven to the outskirts of town, he lived among the dead. Chained and shackled, he hung from the rocks. But the sea of voices within him would rise and swell, and he would run, hunted by the terrors of his own soul. The wind on his face, the only softness he knew. He screamed and fell forward, trying to heave out the knotted mess within him, and then he saw it. His scream cut off caught in the willows above him. And in the gloam fixed in front of him was something, something he remembered, something that did not slip away in the currents of delusion, something bright and shining like a star, reverberating light. And in this sea of darkness, he saw this one thing clearly, an invitation. Well, here we find Jesus in the land of the Gerasenes. It's hard to say where it really is. The location and even the name is a bit ambiguous, but suffice it to say 
that in the Lucan account, this is Jesus' first trip really out into Gentile territory. Among the locals is a man who lives among the tombs, naked and screaming. And the only way that people can explain this condition is to say that he is full to the brim of evil. It's the demons inside him that make him tear off his clothes and run wild. And when they chain him up again, it's those devils that imbue his wiry frame with superhuman strength to break through his shackles and traipse across the hillsides once again. Now stripped of nearly all human dignity, he is isolated from his community, imprisoned where no one will have to confront the destitution of his body, mind, and soul. And they're okay with living right next to the devil as long as he doesn't interfere too much with them. They found a way to keep him at bay. But when Jesus comes, the homeostasis, however disturbing, is upset. The possessed man sees Jesus and comes running to him, according to our text, impelled by the dark forces inside him. And Jesus, unflappable as always, peers into the mess and muddle of this man's existence and calls out this nameless man's true self. His feet fly, the wind wets the edges of his eyes, and the light grows, blooming before him, and there, amid the multitude of voices, the swirling rage and catastrophizing, there is a voice that drowns out the rest. Not with booming force or raging threats. No, this voice leaves a wake of silence. A place where there is finally room. Room for another. What's your name? Says the light. Name? What name? He looks back through the mess and tangled but finds nothing. No name. He is shrouded, lost, alone. The darkness rises to fill the void, and out he spews a thousand fearful streams of thought. He is nothing, only this confounded heap of indignities. We are many, he says. The voice comes again, hollowing out a wideness within him, pushing the darkness back to the edges. Come out. And the words reach in far back through time and space and soul, to find the spark deep within. Once shrouded in darkness, confounded by a relentless sea of shame and rejection, now this flicker finds room to breathe. The spark inhales, ignites, expands in the open space. Darkness scatters and shadows flee. I just read about a story in the Alliance of Baptist newsletter from Chalice Overy. She's an associate pastor at Pullen Memorial in Raleigh, and she received an interesting call from an organization called Southerners on New Ground, or SONG. This is how this organization defines itself. Um, a regional queer liberation organization made up of black people, people of color, immigrants, undocumented people, people with disabilities, working class and rural and small town, LGBTQ people in the South. They asked her if she wanted to help bail out women from jail. She was a little surprised at the request, 
but they said that clergy can gain access where other people might not be able to go. And when possible, since they are focused on bailing out black women from jail, they want black women ministers to do this work. So she said, yes. And here's part of her account. She says, my exchanges with the women in the Durham, North Carolina detention facility brought me face to face with the inequities of the system. The majority of the women I visited had a diagnosis of mental illness. They needed treatment and community support, not jail. And they had been able to scrape up a couple, and had they been able to scrape up a couple hundred dollars in most cases, they would not have had to sit in jail awaiting a trial for charges that were often dismissed. While it was rewarding to bring news of their release, it was painful to grapple with the reasons they were there to begin with. Now, after each release, they throw a homecoming party, and they ask Chalice to open with a prayer. She confesses in her blog post that she felt a little weird at first offering an invocation at a party. But what came to her were these words from Luke. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because she has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. She has sent me to proclaim release to the captives to let the oppressed go free. Now that's gospel gospel embodied and in flesh. That is the work of the Spirit in her church. And I was, as I was reading this story, it made me think that just a few chapters before this passage that we experience now was when Jesus read those very words about setting captives free in his hometown. And now out in the midst of Gentile territory, he finds somebody who exemplifies oppression, someone who's chained and isolated, who is brutalized by a legion of demons. And let's not spiritualize this too much and dismiss the politics of this passage in the gospel. The legion, the symbol of absolute power of the Jews' oppressive regime, is cast off into the lowliest of places, a pack of pigs, and runs off into the sea. And here we see that Jesus has power over the most feared forces on the planet. He can reorder the death-dealing systems that curse our lives, and whether in oppressive governments or in the recesses of our own hearts. Jesus calls us out of the murky depths of despair and into hopeful action for justice. The people came from all around packing in the small town to see the man they had heard about, the man who once ran among the tombs, screamed and raged at his shackles, tore out across the moonlit hillsides with terror glinting in his eyes. This man was dressed and calm in his right mind, talking with friends, listening to Jesus. The shadows that haunted him were all drowned in the sea. Gasps of wonder whispered across the hillsides, eyes widened to drink in the sight of this man, they had hurried their children past, the man they locked their doors from at night. The whispers lengthened and stretched into suspicions. The wonder twisted into terror, and the crowds began to hiss their fears and scowl their discontent, and they asked Jesus to leave. It was too much, too much change, too much loss, too much. Jesus nodded and sighed. He walked back down the hill toward the boat with the disciples, the man followed without question, his gaze fixed on Jesus. 
Jesus stopped and looked at him. I want to go with you, the man said. Jesus shook his head and smiled, his face beaming, casting off all shadow. Go home and tell the story of what God has done for you. Now you would think it would be time for a party. Streamers and balloons, ice cream and cake, welcome home banners and fireworks. But instead of joy at this good news, rather than celebration at the upheaval of evil, there was great fear. I don't know about you, but it seems like we do the same thing sometimes, don't we? We look at somebody else and say, you're different than me. You don't look like me. You broke the rules. You have a mental illness. You're poor. Lock, lock you up. Keep you away. Call them evil. Forget their name. Say, this isn't your home, and you don't belong. But that's not the gospel. That's not Jesus. If we go looking for Emmanuel, God with us, the light of the world, the Prince of Peace, where will we find him? We'll find him in prisons, in the cemetery stockades on the outskirts of town, and certainly at homecoming parties for mothers just bailed out of jail. Because Jesus is out there setting people free. The Spirit of God is all over him. The Spirit of God is pulling him to places where days and nights bleed into one another and everything is hazy, where reality and delusion mix into a muddled mess of bills and convictions and failed searches, job searches and inequalities. And Jesus doesn't spend any time talking to us about willpower or bootstraps. Jesus doesn't waste any time on should-haves and ought-tos. He doesn't say, get your life right. He doesn't say, what a waste. And he doesn't say, what a shame. He doesn't look down with pity in his eyes and shake his head. No, Jesus comes to each of us. He looks us in the eye and he says to us, what is your name? And we may have forgotten it long ago. Those demons may have shouted for so long in our heads that we can't remember. But his words make space for us, for him to be together. And it doesn't remember if you can't remember your name or if you never knew it to begin with because he knows it. He wants you to know that he knows it. It is written on the very heart of God. It is whispered across the evening breeze as the spirit makes her rounds. It is painted in every sunrise and sunset. You are beloved. Would that it were that easy that everyone got healed, that everyone got bailed out, that grace and the love of Jesus could wipe away all of our sufferings. But that is not always the case. Each of our stories is different. Each of us has our own unique mix of power and of otherness, of privilege and of struggle, of brilliance and of darkness. And we often push the darkness down and control it. We chain it up in the recesses of our soul. We hide it away, control it, and make it socially acceptable. But those were the people who were afraid. Afraid of losing control. 
Before them stood a power greater than any they had ever seen, a power they could not bend to their will, a power they could not shackle, a power they could not control, a power that did not bend to empire or economies of greed. And that power stands before us too. A power and a tenderness, a fearless welcome and an invitation to offer that same welcome to another. An invitation to your truest self. The spark of the divine within you to come forth, to breathe deep, and to shine. now as we begin a response to God this morning to sing together, Spirit Open My Heart, number 
sister, brother. of our souls and to call us out from those things that might shackle us. The God that invites us to move beyond our fears and into a place where we can know that we are beloved enough to work for hope and for peace and for justice in the world around. So maybe you want to come and light a candle at one of these tables. Maybe you want to sit and pray. Maybe you just need to take a deep breath. And just to be in the presence of God. And to know that you are God's child once again. So take this time to respond as the Spirit leads you. Let's open our time of prayer together with our call to prayer. Listen to God's whisper, unraveling our fears. Listen to God's whisper, unraveling our sin. Listen to God's whisper, unraveling our pain. Listen to God's whisper, unraveling our shame. Listen to God's whisper, unraveling.
confess to you that we are often shackled. We are often afraid to look at the darknesses within us. It's often easy to remain where we are, as long as we can make it through. And to close our eyes to our neighbor, who is also in pain. struggles is unique. You know them all and you invite us to a beautiful and beloved community that will stretch us, that will pull us to places where others fade away. And we learn to see more clearly sisters, brothers, siblings, into the depths of our souls. so much for being here this morning. Um, just a couple of announcements before we sing our final song um, together. Um, one is, I think there's still a few more of these left and available out on the, uh, um, the table. These are just some journals. Uh, nothing special about them except for some of the questions inside. These came from Laura's sermon from a few weeks ago um, and uh, uh, kind of dovetails in nicely with the the call that we make at the beginning of early worship of noticing and acknowledging God's presence in us, among us, and beyond us. So you'll see these questions in here. How do I notice the Holy Spirit's movement beyond me? How do I notice the Holy Spirit's moving among our Christian community? And how do I notice the Spirit's movement within me? Just a guide, uh, a chance for you to maybe write down some thoughts. As this summer, we... Uh, take some time to reflect and try to remember to find and to see the presence of God in us, among us, and beyond us. Um, we also still could use some help with uh, the Pride Festival coming up this coming weekend, this, this Saturday. Um, and uh, there's a sign-up sheet out there. Um, you don't really have to do anything except come and stand there and say hi and, uh, and greet folks. It's always a good time. It's always a great time to, uh, to be together. Um, and uh, great joyful experience so we invite you to come and to uh, hang out for an hour or so at the booth at some point on Saturday if you'd like to do that um, the book club that was last Tuesday since I wasn't quite up and about yet was rescheduled to 
this Tuesday during the day, so if you're interested in that, um, you can, uh, there's still time. You don't really have to have read anything yet. We have people who've finished the book and people who've just started, and whether or not you can make it um, to the book group, we invite you to read uh, Southernmost, um, a novel by Silas House, an author from Berea, um, and just just great, great literature, a great book, but a great story too, um, and uh, wonderful things uh, for us to consider and to uh, think about as well. So thank you all for being here this morning. Let's stand together as we sing our song of sending together. See 